why is it that you suddenly get a frog in your throat just as you're about to go up and start speaking? <coughs> you have to excuse me. It's Hopefully it will go away soon. But uh, uh, yeah, so I just want to, you know, say a warm welcome to everyone. It's great to see you all here. As I mentioned, my name's Sean. I'm part of the uh, leadership team here, and we're uh, continuing our new series uh, looking, well, as you can see, it says real, real life, real emotion, real God, and we're working our way through the Psalms. Um, now, for those of you who know me, um, the Psalms is poetry. Now, last time I, I had gender, and this time I've got poetry, so I don't know quite what's going on, but uh, when I was... Uh, baptized at the age of 10, quite a long time ago now, it seems. Um, I remember singing, or the, a song being sung. It was, As the Deer Pants for the Water. And it's a song that I remember very well. I remember to be, I can sing most of the, the words, and certainly when it comes up, I, you know, I can sing it all through. But that song is taken from a uh, Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. It's a great image of a, of a deer looking for water. And so, you know, our soul searching for God, for his provision. And today we're, uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 1. But uh, as again, if you know me well, I like to give a bit of background first. So actually this morning is going to be mainly background and only a little bit on Psalm 1 at the end. So, there we go. Right, so, for those of you who can just about see that up the top, it says history. What is the history of the Psalms? Well, first of all, a little bit of uh, factual information. The Psalms is the longest book in the Bible, right in the middle. It has 150 chapters, it has the shortest chapter in the Bible, which is Psalm 117, and it has the longest chapter, which is Psalm 119. Now, the very first psalm that was written, that we believe was written, was Psalm 90. It was written roughly in 1410 BC, so nearly three and a half thousand years ago. By Moses. And it themes the greatness of God compared to the insignificance of mankind. God's permanence versus mankind's short years. And a cry for God's favor. Now, when we come to look at the last psalm that was written, it gets a lot more complicated. Now, it could be, as I've written up here, Psalm 137, possibly written in 530 BC. The psalm itself discusses the Jews being taken into exile in Babylon. The author is unknown, and it may have been written at that time, when they were in Babylon, or it may have been written soon after. It talks 
about their captivity and how they could no longer worship God as they couldn't go to his temple. It talks about how their captors jeered and encouraged them to sing the songs that they could no longer sing. And for those of you of a certain age, you may remember a a song in the late 70s by Boney M, by the rivers of Babylon. Again, taken from this Psalm 137. However, I said it was complicated. It's possible that Psalm 126 sorry, was written in 430 BC, so 100 years later than Psalm 137, possibly written by Ezra. So again, it describes after a return from exile. It could be Ezra or a contemporary of his writing about the return from Babylon, but it could also be King David writing about his brief exile when his son Absalom decided to take over his throne, and David had to flee for a time. It speaks of God restoring his people, of crying out to God for blessings. So the Psalms were written over a period of maybe 900 or even 1,000 years. They had... There are multiple authors of the Psalms. Many might think that King David wrote them all, but actually he, he only wrote about half that we know of, about 73. Solomon wrote two. Ezra maybe wrote uh, Psalm 126. The sons of Korah wrote 11. The family of Asaph, 12. Moses, one. Heman and Ethan, one each but that still leaves 50 that we don't really know. So we come to a collection of books, 150 in total. And maybe you didn't know that they're actually broken down into five different books. Now, these are generalizations of the theme going on in these psalms, but Psalms 1 to 41 the first book, talk about the character of God. Psalms 42 to 72 talk about, generally, when times were hard. Psalms 73 to 89, how you really feel. Psalms 90 to 106, God's plan And then the last set, 107 to 150, our response to God. Again, as I say, those are generalized themes, but that's uh, what tends to be in those particular books within Psalms. But what are the Psalms? As I alluded to at the start, they're, they're actually Hebrew poetry. And we're going to take a a look. So bear with me, because I'm not a great poet. But I'm going to try and give a flavor here. And uh, 
We're going to start then by considering what we know as poetry. Now, English poetry, uh, it manipulates sound and emphasizes rhyme and rhythm. Consider this. I ate my peas with honey. I've done it all my life. It makes the peas taste funny, but it keeps them on my knife. You can see the, the rhyme and the rhythm there. Well, how about this one? They strolled down the lane together. The sky was studded with stars. They reached the gate in silence, and he lifted down the bars. She neither smiled nor thanked him, because she knew not how. For he was just a farmer's boy, and she was a Jersey cow. But you get, you get the flavor there. You, you're, you're sucked into something, aren't you? You're, you're in the lane. You're seeing the stars. You've seen the gate. And then suddenly there's a farmer's boy and a cow. But that's how we know poetry, English poetry. Rhyme and rhythm. But Hebrew poetry is very different. It doesn't have rhyme and rhythm Hebrew poetry uh, repeats and rearranges thoughts and sounds. And I'm going to uh, now just run through a couple of areas of how uh, Hebrew poetry works. And I'll, I'll, I'll try not to get lost, and I hope you'll stick with me. So we start with a term, parallelism. There are five Types of parallel arrangement of thoughts. But we're only going to look at three because they get more complicated in the final two. First one then is really testing my uh, dry throat. Synonymism. Yep, that was terrible. I'm only saying it once. The same thought of the first line is basically repeated in different words in the second line. So a good example of this is Psalm 7, verse 17. It says this, I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord most high. So it basically repeats the first line in the second line, but with just with different words, but meaning pretty much the same thing. Right, moving on. Antithetical. The thought here of the first line is emphasized by a contrasting thought in the second line. And they are often identified with but. So, Psalm 34, verse 10. The lions may grow weak and weary, but those who seek the Lord Lack no good thing. And in Psalm 1, which we're looking at them in a few minutes, as a good example as well, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And the third one, synthetic. The second line explains or further develops the idea 
of the first line. So a few examples, Psalm 95, verse 3. For the Lord is great, the great king above all gods. So the Lord is great, and then the great king above all gods. So it develops further. Again, in our Psalm 1, verse 3, that person is like a tree, like a tree, planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So that's accumulation and, of, and development of a theme there. Okay, moving on then to the second area of Hebrew poetry, a little bit easier to pronounce. Figures of speech. Now we, we know what that means, don't we? But like the Hebrew language itself, Hebrew poetry uses vivid images, similes, and metaphors to communicate thoughts and feelings. So, Psalm 139, verses 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts. So, it's talking about thoughts here. So, your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. So the, the, God's thoughts are um, compared to the number or outnumbering the grains of sand. And again, going back to Psalm 1 verse 3, where it talks about uh, uh, being a tree. So there's a comparison with a tree. Okay. Are you still with me? I hope so. Moving on then. But what are the Psalms? We, they are poetry, yes. But what was done with them? What were they for? Well, kind of, they are very much like our own worship songs in a sense. They would have been uh, sung in worship. So maybe in the temple. Uh, they, they would have had uh, singers praising God. They would have almost certainly had instruments as well, just as we did up here. And occasionally, they would be spoken. But like all poetry, the gain is speaking or singing them out, not just saying them in your head. Okay, as I said, they were used for worship. They were Israel's way to worship God. And many of our worship songs, you probably know, are based on or around the Psalms. They were also there for teaching. Psalms taught the people about God. He could be depended on. Who he blessed and who he didn't. What pleased him and didn't. I'm sure most of you have heard of Charles Wesley. He wrote uh, more than 6,000 hymns why? His, one of his main reasons was to teach the illiterate of his time, the truths about God and the tr what was in the Bible. Because firstly, they couldn't get Scripture, but secondly, they couldn't read it either. So Charles Wesley took it upon himself, encouraged by God to write 
all these hymns that taught wonderful truths. So people sung the truths of God, got them into their hearts. Here, a couple of examples. Love divine, all loves excelling. And hark, the herald angels sing. Just two of thousands that he wrote. And then the purpose also was to remind people of God's faithfulness, of how they should lead their lives. Just as we sing songs and they stir us, whether they are uh, scriptural songs or whether they're, they're just, uh, well, any song really, it, bring, you know, it stirs our hearts. It brings memories just as... Uh, Whenever I hear, as the deer punts for the water, it reminds me of my baptism. So the Psalms were there to stir people's hearts and to remind them God's faithfulness, what he had done in the past. Okay, so I'm going to ask if Judith could play a video for us now, please. It is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, who stands in the way of sinners, no sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. He prospers. The wicked are not so. Jeff, that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Oh, oh. But the way of the wicked will perish. To be like a tree planted by the streams of water that gives its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. He prospers. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water. He prospers, he 
Thank you. Do you see, you know, it, it draws you in. You get tied up in it. You start to, you know, really listen. I, I just find that, uh, you know, we miss so much just reading these things. But uh, we had the video so that I didn't have to sing it. But we are going to read it. But as I said, this is just going to be a short run through, really. Um, Okay, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. So, Psalm 1, obviously, is right at the start. But actually, it's placed there for a reason. It's an intro um, of, to the whole of the Psalms. It, it contrasts the way of the righteous and the wicked. And, uh, you know, yeah, it kind of opens up what the rest of the Psalms are going to be like. Okay, so verse 1, blessed, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So we start here, two verses which contrast each other. There's a, a negative and a positive. So verse 1 is the negative uh, if you want to be blessed, don't do this, this, and this. And it's a, a progression. So we start off with walking in step with the wicked. Then it goes to standing with, spending more time with. And then it goes on to sitting in the company of. So you know, agreeing with and, and placing yourself with them. So the psalmist is saying here, don't do these things, but instead... You need to delight in God's word. You need to meditate on it constantly, which then leads on to blessings and happiness. But what do we mean by delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night? Well, we're talking here about God's word. And really, a delight comes in seeking God first, seeking uh, him to, to know him and to asking him that, to open up his word to us. It's not just something we pick up the Bible and start running through, but actually we need to seek God for that delight in him and his word. And to meditate day and night, what, you mean we've got to spend all our time reading and studying? Well, no, not really. It's, a, it's in the heart. And Actually, sometimes singing songs, that's a way of meditating on God's word. It's praying back to him his truths. It, it's a general heart thing of longing to know him more day and night. So it goes on then to what the person who doesn't do verse 1 but does do verse 2 will be like. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Again, this is a two-verse contrast. It's between the results of the two ways of life. The, the godly, who follow the advice of verses 1 and 2, are stable and fruitful, like a prosperous tree. You can... Imagine the imagery, you know, of a, a fruit tree maybe planted near to a river. It's uh, 
always receiving its water and uh, it yields fruit and doesn't wither, but it prospers. And this is the, what the psalmist is saying of the, of the godly person. But the ungodly are unstable like chaff, which is of no value. What is chaff, you might ask? It's the light shell around a kernel of grain. And chaff was light enough that it could be separated from the grain by throwing a scoopful into the wind and letting the wind drive away the chaff. The grain, the useful part, remained. And this is how unstable, how lacking in substance the ungodly are. But what of this word prospers? I mean, it's not about being prosperous as the world sees it. Money, health, social standing. But instead, God brings something good and wonderful out of everything, even the tough circumstances. That's what it means to prosper. And then five and six. Again, another contrast between the wicked and righteous. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of wicked, of the wicked leads to destruction. So it's talking about here, about judgment day, where the righteous will stand, but the wicked will not. About the assembly of the righteous, heaven and eternity with God, but the wicked won't be there. God is involved in the way of the righteous. He watches over their lives, guides them and leads them. But he watches from afar the way of the wicked, which leads to destruction. I think it's important to note and to remember here, Romans 3, 22 and 24 says this, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You know, it's only through faith in Jesus Christ, accepting him as Lord and Savior, that anyone is made righteous. And as a believer, following the guidance of verses 1 and 2 leads us to the blessings and happiness of verse 3. So then, ooh, managed to end up on this summary already. Summary. Don't follow the ways of the ungodly. Delight in God's word and meditate on it day and night. God's ways way leads to blessings, happiness, and eternal life. And the way of the wicked leads to destruction. But we don't do any of these things in our own strength. God the Father has put his Holy Spirit in us. And as we seek God and yield our lives to him, so we will be changed and drawn closer to him and his ways. And I just want to finish by reading a little bit from a book by Phil Moore, uh, Psalm Straight to the Heart. Great book, worth uh, getting hold of and reading. Somewhere in here. There we go. He says this, Psalm 1, 
is about anyone. It acts as a preface to the entire book of Psalms by calling each of us to make an upfront choice between righteousness and wickedness, between listening to God's word or to the world, between living for ourselves or pursuing friendship with God. It begins by promising that blessed or happy is anyone who delights in God's word and who studies it day and night. It promises that if we plant ourselves in a place where we can deepen our relationship with God, we will drink from the non-stop stream of blessings which flows from his throne. It's significant that the first word of Psalms is happy. This book holds the key to our enjoying the, the deeply fulfilling friendship with God for which we were created. But this first psalm also warns us that anyone can be deceived into missing God's purpose for their life. The drift is often gradual, since chapter 1, verse 1 reminds us that walking with sinners easily becomes standing with sinners and eventually sitting with sinners. It is often unnoticed, since those who turn away from God often think that they are still part of the assembly of the righteous. Psalms isn't just a collection of pretty choruses. It demands that we make an active decision from the outset. It warns us that unless we meditate on the words of this book and apply them, God will sweep us away like dust before the scorching wind. I think it'd be good to just spend a few minutes praying. I'd like, could we stand? I'm going to pray for us. Lord, I want to pray that each of us would have a love for you and for your word. Lord, that we would delight in it in its many forms, whether it's the Bible or or even poetry or, or songs. Lord, that it would be in our hearts, bubbling out of us, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'd forgive us that when we have been enticed by the ways of the wicked whether we've walked, stood, or even sat in the place of the wicked. Forgive us, Lord, and help us to walk your pathways. Lord, I pray for your blessing upon each one of us, that we would know that happiness and joy in you, bubbling up of your work in our lives and us being transformed to be more like Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that each of us would be like the tree, nourished, fruitful, and not withering, even in hard times, Lord. Help us, Lord, to put our trust in you and you alone. Amen.